Well, good morning again, everyone. Uh, let's continue uh, in prayer as we prepare to open the Word. Um, I have my handy uh, tie clip mic on, so I guess we can turn off the pulpit mic at this point. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And this morning, as we talk about an issue that is uh, common to us all, uh, we pray that you would be at work speaking to us, uh, nudging us along toward further transformation so that we look increasingly like Jesus. And Lord, um, that you would come in power now by your word to uh, redirect us, Lord, if we need redirection. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, for this Sunday and uh, next, I'm getting some feedback on that microphone. Thanks, Mike. Uh, For this Sunday and next, the Lord has directed us to spend a little time in the book of Proverbs. So if you have a Bible, you can open it now to Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is one of the biblical books that fits in the category of wisdom literature along with the books of Ecclesiastes and Job and the Song of Songs, and uh, even some of the Psalms are considered to be wisdom psalms. So here we are today in the wisdom literature, in, in Proverbs. One way that we can define the term wisdom, as that term is understood in the Bible, is that wisdom is living out Torah. To live out God's Torah, to live out God's law, is wisdom. In Deuteronomy 4, verse 6, Israel is told that if they keep and perform God's law, it will be their wisdom. So in that verse, we see a direct relationship between God's law and wisdom. In Ezra 7.14 and 7.25, the law of God that is in Ezra's hand is called wisdom. So the Bible makes this very clear connection between doing God's law, living out God's Torah, and wisdom. To live out the law of God is wisdom. Wisdom. We might even say that to live out God's Torah, his law, and to be wise are synonymous. And in Proverbs, living out God's law often takes on a very earthy, everyday shape. Much of the concern in the book of Proverbs is with the everyday details, the the sometimes mundane details of our lives. Well, this morning... We're looking at the wisdom that Proverbs gives us concerning the specific subject of, are you ready for it, laziness in contrast with good old-fashioned industriousness and hard work. Laziness versus diligence. And as a way into this subject, we start with a true story about a person who was especially Lazy. This is a true story. There was a Navy operations officer aboard a combat ship who stumbled into the mess hall early one morning, still sleepy and groggy, and he sat down to eat his bagel at breakfast. As this operations officer sat down, the morning sun was shining brightly, directly into his face as he's there eating his bagel. So he got out his phone and he dialed the bridge of the ship and ordered them to turn the entire ship a few degrees so the sun would be off of his face as he ate his bagel. Well, there was a sailor who watched this whole event unfold. He wrote this. He's literally just redirected thousands of tons of steel and hundreds of people 
so that he could get the sun out of his eyes while he eats his bagel. Now, most of us, I think, are somewhat amused by a story like that, right? How could this guy be that lazy? I mean, why not simply change chairs at your table if you don't like the sun in your face? We also find humor in notoriously lazy characters like Homer Simpson. And there's even this book called Homer Simpson's Little Book of Laziness, uh, where Homer is celebrated as the Sultan of Sloth and the true American idol, with idol spelled I-D-L-E. We find this stuff funny. And, and the truth is that so many of us will almost automatically point to other characters, other people, as examples of laziness. I think we're slower to see ourselves as being lazy. We don't like to think of ourselves as lazy. But I would argue that each of us is lazy in one way or another. So this week I sat down and I started to think about the various ways in which I am lazy and the various ways in which most of us are lazy. So some examples of our laziness. Okay, these are down-to-earth examples of human laziness. Have you ever gone to Super C or Maxi and C? You finished your shopping, and then instead of pushing the shopping cart, say, 50 feet to the little cart corral, uh, you leave the, car, the cart beside your car, and you drive off. Lazy. Now, again, some of these are, are personal, right, to me. So. Or have you ever failed to take the empty toilet paper tube off the roller to throw it in the garbage? Or students. Here's one for students. How about playing two hours of PS4 or Xbox or checking social media for two hours while only doing three or four minutes of very half-hearted homework. Ways that we are lazy. Or here's one that I've actually done. Okay, This is confession time. I'm sitting in the living room watching sports, and I hear our dog barking outside, telling me that she wants to come in. Only about 30 feet from where I am comfortably seated on the couch. And instead of getting up to let her in, I take out my cell phone and I call my daughter, who's up in her room, and tell her to come down and let her dog in. Right? Lazy. I think all of us can probably think of examples of our laziness if we try. Another, another example of human laziness would be all those exercise products out there that promise great results with little to no effort, right? Just buy our product and stay lazy and you'll have six-pack abs in about a week. Or another one, in their book, The Narcissism Epidemic, Gene Twenge and Keith Campbell give reports about certain college students who demand that their professors give them an A in their course, even though their performance in no way merits an A. Uh, these students live with a sense of entitlement. They want a perfect result, but they are not willing to do the hard work that would legitimately earn them the good result. Lazy. Now, friends, here's what we need to comprehend with our Bibles open before us, and I hope you have them open to Proverbs. We're gearing up to go to some of the Proverbs now. Here's what we need to understand. As much as we might be amused by laziness and how lazy people can be, and I think we're, we're amused probably because we relate ourselves to being lazy, the Bible treats laziness as a sin before God. 
In the words of the radio preacher Alistair Begg, laziness is a sin for which we need to repent. Yes. Friends, we need to be saved from a lot of things. And one of the things we need to be saved from is our laziness. So what we want to do now is open up Proverbs and look through some of the many verses, and there are many, many verses in the book that speak to the sin of laziness. We're going to start here with three or four passages that describe the lazy person's nature. What does a lazy person look like? Well, let's start with Proverbs 13, verse 4. Solomon writes, The soul of the sluggard, and that word sluggard is the word that is used in Proverbs to describe the lazy person. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. One of the characteristics of a lazy person is that he or she sits around a lot craving, daydreaming, wishing for things that they don't have. The lazy person is one who spends vast amounts of their days desiring, in in a sort of escapist way, for things they wish they had, but they don't have. And somewhere along the way, the logical computation that you have to work diligently to attain the things you dream about, well, that's been lost somewhere along the way. It's all dreaming and escaping in the mind and desiring, the result of which is... Nothing. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. As Charles Bridges put it once so memorably, he said, the sluggard desires the gain of diligence without the diligence that gains. One more time. The sluggard desires the gain of diligence without the diligence that gains. Friend, you can sit around for two hours daydreaming about getting a 4.0 average in university, or you can spend those same two hours doing the hard work of studying to attain the 4.0 average. The second half of Proverbs 13.4 says, the soul of the diligent, the soul of the hard worker, is richly Supply. Well, in keeping with the first half of, of 13.4, we also have, if you flip over, to Proverbs 21, verses 25 and 26. Those verses read, now watch this, the desire, notice, the desire of the sluggard kills him. For his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. Notice here the emphasis again on the sluggard's desire, verse 25, and the emphasis on the sluggard's Craving, which is mentioned twice in verse 26. These words paint a picture, like 13.4 had painted a picture, of the person who lives in the world of wishful thinking. The person who puts a low value on hard work and a high value on reverie, on daydreaming about what might be. And the warning in verse 25 is a pretty stark warning. This kind of wishful thinking existence is a killer. The desire of the sluggard 
kills him. This kind of lifestyle is going to bring a person to ruin, ultimately. Having looked at 13.4 and 21.5 and 6, we've seen, for starters, that the lazy person tends to be a daydreamer at the expense of hard work. Let's go now to Proverbs 19.24 in our portrait of the lazy person's nature. Get this. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. Now, obviously there's some humor here, right? But the tone of the humor is a mocking tone. The Bible is actually mocking the lazy person here. Now, in the ancient Near East, as in many cultures today, people didn't eat with forks and spoons like we do. They ate with their hands. And the picture in this proverb is a picture of a person who reaches his hand into his uh, ancient Near Eastern KFC, but then fails to bring his hand with the food up to his mouth. What's the picture? The, the picture is that this person is too lazy to eat. This person is too lazy to perform tasks that are necessary for proper survival. This person starts a vital project, namely eating, but then fails to follow it through. What this verse is teaching us is that the lazy person, friends, can be quite absurd. Oftentimes, he or she won't even make the effort to take care of themselves. They are so lazy. So we've seen that the lazy person is characterized in the Bible by daydreaming, 13.4, and by absurdity, 19.24, in that they even fail oftentimes to take care of themselves. Well, let's continue in our portrait of the lazy person's nature by going to Proverbs 26, verses 14 through 16. Now, again, confession time. For me, admittedly, I will be the first to admit, it's always a challenge to get out of bed in the morning. There's no question about it. It, t- it takes me some physical and mental energy to make the move from the lying position to the upright position, from flat on my back to sitting up at the edge of the bed and then from the edge of the bed over to the bathroom. But the fact is, friends, when the alarm clock goes off in the morning, you have to begin your day, right? Time to get up, no matter how hard it might be. Well, watch the lazy person here in verse 14, the sluggard. As a door turns on its hinges so does a sluggard on his bed. Now, get the picture. Think of a door on hinges. The door on hinges moves, doesn't it, from one position to the other, but it stays hinged to the wall. So the door moves, but at the same time, it goes nowhere. Right? That's the picture. The lazy person may move in bed, but he or she prefers to stay in bed. The only progress that the lazy person makes is rolling from her left side to her right side in bed. She doesn't start her day by getting out of bed. In fact, she doesn't doesn't start things in general. There's no initiative. Now, as we continue in this passage with verse 15, we've already seen the same verse, essentially, back at 1924. So we're going to go ahead to verse 16. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So along with this sort of non-self-starting nature of the lazy person that we just saw in verse 14. Now in verse 16, we have the added picture of self-satisfaction. 
So when the lazy person is challenged about how lazy they are, challenged about their slothfulness, he will have ready-made justifications and ready-made excuses for it. He will claim wisdom in his laziness and will claim to have things all figured out. And the person who is trying to talk sense into him, uh, he considers to be a joke. Get away from me. I've got this all figured out. Right? Now, again, friends, notice how uh, penetrating the Bible is into our human uh, condition. Uh, but I caution us here at verse 16. The only person that we should be examining as we read verse 16 is ourselves. Right? Am I the person who is described in verse 16? God Help me, and God save me from this, if I am. Well, having looked at these few passages, I think we have a pretty good picture now of the lazy person's nature. Again, just to review, this person tends to be a daydreamer at the expense of working. This person can be absurd in that they often fail to take care of themselves. This person is a non-self-starter. And this person is deluded in self-satisfaction. What we want to do next, just to put the cherry on top of Proverbs' description of the lazy person, is to go to Proverbs 22.13. The verse reads, The sluggard says, There is a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. Okay, so what's the idea here? The idea here is that the lazy person, the sluggard, makes, listen, makes crazy excuses to stay lazy. The lazy person may invent silly excuses to stay lazy, may exaggerate and distort those excuses, all in in an attempt to stay away from diligence, to stay away from work. The guy in the proverb here, notice, he invents a fictional lion. And he uses the fictional illusory lion as an excuse to stay home, to avoid work, work that would be a a benefit to himself and work that would be a benefit to his community. I ask you, have you ever conjured up a preposterous excuse to avoid working? (laughs) It's pretty quiet in here. I think probably all of us have done this at one time or another. The the lazy person will tend to invent excuses to stay lazy. Well, having studied the portrait of the lazy person's nature, what we want to do next in Proverbs is to explore a few select verses that talk about the results of laziness, okay? The effects of laziness. And then to contrast that with what the book says about the results of industriousness and diligent work. So there are several of the Proverbs that speak to this. Let's start at Proverbs 10, verse 4. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Well, yes. The result of laziness and slackness is poverty, but the result of diligence and hard work is richness. Simple, right? It's hardwired into the universe that we find ourselves in. Or we can go also to Proverbs 12:11. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Now, I think this proverb is especially relevant to students. And don't feel I'm picking on students today, but I think this is relevant to students. I've been a student for many years of my life, so I I get this. But meditate on this proverb through the summer before you start another semester. Working the land in this proverb can easily be related to working your books and assignments. The general rule is that you will tend to get a good result if you put the work in. Right? 
I mean, don't cram the night before you have an exam. Don't start an assignment the day before it's due. Don't procrastinate on stuff. Do the work consistently and do it diligently. And don't follow worthless pursuits while you are while you should be studying. So don't waste time. You know you should be studying. Don't be tempted to go over to Netflix or social media or gaming or endless YouTube videos. Remember, friends, according to the Bible, this is a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual issue. God cares about this. Well, I want us also to go to Proverbs 20, verse 4, just for a minute. Watch this verse. The sluggard, well, he doesn't plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. Now, notice in this proverb, there's this aspect of timeliness, right? There is a time frame in which one must plow and plant seeds in a field. God has provided earth and has provided rain and has created and provided seeds. But we must do the work of planting at the right time of the year if we are to have a bountiful harvest later. The lazy person misses the planting season, and perhaps he does this purposefully because he rationalizes in his head, well, it's too cold to go outside and plant. Well, then notice, notice in this verse, this is very important, notice the irrationality that follows. So the lazy guy fails to plant at the right time, and yet he still goes out to seek a harvest during harvest season, and lo and behold, big surprise, there's nothing there to harvest. What a shock, right? The effect of being lazy at planting time is no harvest at harvest time. Friends, when we fail to to do what needs to be done in a timely way, because we are simply lazy, we can't expect a good result for our non-effort, right? If I know about a work deadline and I procrastinate on that deadline and I fail to do it because I'm lazy, and then I get reprimanded by my boss and or fired, I should expect that result. Well, the last thing we want to do in the book of Proverbs this morning is to go to school together. So here I'm inviting you to sit, all of us, as students under the teacher of Proverbs, who encourages us in a couple of different ways to stop being lazy, to develop instead a godly work ethic. So let's go, first of all, to the passage that was read to us, Proverbs 6, verses 6 to 11. It's a very famous passage. Many of us will know it well. So the first school that we are invited to enroll at and attend is what I would call Ant Senior Secondary. Go to the ant, O sluggard. This is our teacher talking. He's talking to you and he's talking to me. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Wow. So, friends, notice this. Here we have something of an insult. In the beginning, In Genesis 1.26, human beings were to have kingly and queenly dominion over every creeping thing, including little ants. But now in Proverbs 6, human beings are called upon to be schooled by the tiny ant. So we're a little humiliated here to be enrolled in ant senior secondary. But God deems it necessary because in our fallenness, friends, post-Genesis 3 time that we live in, we tend to be lazy. So go to the ant. And the specific ant in question here is a Palestinian harvester ant. 
that is known to store grain in preparation for the winter season. Go to the ant, O sluggard, and consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, notice, without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Do you see here how this ant is a self-starter? Right? This ant is not hinged to its bed. This ant is a self-starter. It doesn't require any boss or any overseer to motivate it to get to work. It just works industriously in an ordered way on its own initiative in preparation for the leaner season that it knows will come after summer. What a wise creature. Meanwhile... There are some lazy human beings who resent it when the boss comes around and they have to quickly shut down their game of Candy Crush Saga. Go to the ant, consider her ways. Verse 9. I always imagine this verse with the sound of a ticking clock in the background. So just imagine a clock. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? And the sluggard who's being questioned here provides no answer, does he? In either verse 9 or in verse 10. I think in verse 10 what we have is the questioner, the teacher, mocking the excuses of the sluggard. A little sleep. A little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Isn't that what you always say, Mr. Lazybones? Just give me five more minutes, I promise I'll get up. Verse 11 gives the outcome for the lazy person. Poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So that's the first of the two schools that we are called to attend in Proverbs, Ant Senior Secondary. Now, over in Proverbs 24, verses 30 through 34, now we are invited to enroll also at what I'm calling Sluggard's Garden High. Sluggard's Garden High. So our teacher here begins in verses 30 and 31 by providing us with his observations. Notice, I passed by the field of a sluggard. By the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. So it's like the teacher here brings out his cell phone, right, to show us some pictures. He's flipping through, showing us some pictures of what he's recently captured as he walked by the sluggard's garden. As he shows us the pictures, he's describing it to us. The place is neglected. The place is overgrown. It's in disrepair. And not because the sluggard had fallen ill. Not because the sluggard had changed addresses and had abandoned the place altogether. No, it was because he, as an able-bodied person, was just plain lazy. He didn't do the upkeep of his place out of his slothfulness. But the garden, notice, despite it being overgrown with thorns and nettles, the garden brings forth fruit in verses 32 through 34. But the fruit in this case is in the form of a lesson for the teacher. A lesson for us as students as we observe this garden. Notice the fruitful lesson here. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. It turns out, friends, that this picture of the overgrown, unkempt garden is an admonishment to us to avoid being lazy. The Bible cares about this. And what I find particularly interesting in this passage is the mention in verse 31 of, notice, the ground and thorns and nettles. 
These three words connect quite profoundly back to Genesis 3, verses 17 through 19, where in the moment of Adam and Eve's fall into sin, God had cursed the ground. He had declared that thorns and thistles would grow up from the ground. And God had also declared there that work which had been built into the creation as something good from the very beginning, would now be toilsome. Work would now be sweaty and difficult as the result of the sin of humankind. Well, the sluggard in Proverbs 24.31 has just let the thorns and thistles grow unchecked Because for him, work in this fallen world is way too hard. Why sweat it out? Why not stay hinged in bed? It's too hard to work. Friends, what we need to reckon with, as we try to work this toward a conclusion now, what we need to reckon with is that as human beings who are made in God's image, listen, the Bible opens with God at work. Have you ever noticed that? The Bible opens with God doing hard work. Yes? God's work, as the Bible opens, is the creation. God works six days and rests on the seventh. Now, there's a difference between being lazy and resting. Right? If you work hard, yes, take a rest. In fact, it's commanded. Taking Sabbath is something that we should be doing. But there's a difference between resting and being lazy. God works for six days and takes rest on the seventh when the work is finished. Work, and I want you to listen carefully, work is then a God-like activity. Work is built in to the very created order from the beginning. Work is a good thing that as his image bearers, we are meant to undertake and to do. We are to reflect a working God by our diligent work. We need to see that before before the the fall of humankind into sin ever happened, God put us in the garden to work it and to keep it, Genesis 2.15. Work is a good thing built into God's creation. Yes, for sure, the nature of work has changed due to the fall of humankind into sin in Genesis 3, so that now work is especially toilsome, it is especially painful and often frustrating, And in fact, a sobering meditation, if you ever want to read it, on the nature of work in our post-fall situation can be found over in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, where the writer there talks about despairing over his toil and hating his toil. But work wasn't always the way that we experience it now. And even with all of its current difficulty, the very idea of work continues to reflect God. Again, God starts his revelation to us by showing himself at work, and he put us in the original garden to do work as his image bearers. Work is still good, though it is hindered by the fall. And as New Testament believers, we are aware, are we not, that there are a host of New Testament texts that exhort us against laziness and toward diligent work. So consider Ephesians 4.28. I'm going to read these quickly. Ephesians 4.28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Or 1 Thessalonians 4.11, where we are encouraged to work with our hands. 
Or 1 Thessalonians 5.14, where Paul tells the Thessalonians to admonish the idle, which is certainly and totally in keeping with the passages and Proverbs that we've studied today. Or 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 6 through 15, where we find all sorts of phrases like, keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness, and... We, are, we were not idle, says Paul. We were not idle when we were with you. And with toil and labor we worked. And if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. That's the Apostle Paul. Or consider Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Or Matthew 25, 26, where in the parable of the talents, the person whom Jesus calls a wicked and slothful servant is reprimanded for his inactivity and is cast out into outer darkness. Now, it would be really easy for me to end this sermon right here. In which case, the basic point would be, don't be lazy, go work harder, for the Bible tells you so. It would be easy to end things here, but that would be a hopelessly incomplete sermon because it would fail to connect all of this specifically with the person of Jesus Christ and his gospel. See, friends, the fact is that despite everything I've said in the sermon up to this point, some of us will still end up lazy at some level within a day or two. Even if we resolve right now to do better, because of what we've heard today. Some of us are going to end up lazy this afternoon. What is needed, friends, if we would walk in the wisdom of Proverbs, if we would walk in the wisdom of industriousness and diligence, if we would walk in that way, in a lasting way, what is needed is nothing less, listen, than a new heart. Has God given you a new heart? Now, I want you to notice something in two of the Proverbs that we looked at today, something that was pointed out to me by Dr. John Aiken while I was studying down at Southern a few years ago. Dr. Aiken wrote his Ph.D. thesis on the book of Proverbs. So let's go back to uh, 1211, first of all. So again, 1211 in the English Standard Version reads this way. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. In the original Hebrew here, at the very, the phrase at the very end of the verse, lacks sense, is quite literally lacks heart or lacks a heart. And similarly, over in 2430, where we have, I pass by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, it's literally a man lacking a heart. Now, in both cases, the lazy person is a person who lacks a heart. And friends, to lack a heart in the Bible is a very serious spiritual problem. In the book of Deuteronomy, the people lacked a heart that would fear Yahweh and keep his commandments, Deuteronomy 5.29. What was needed in them was an inner transformation, what was called a circumcision of the heart, Deuteronomy 10.16. But according to Deuteronomy 29.4, Yahweh had not yet given the people such a transformed heart. Although in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, he promised to do so at some point in the future. Well, by the time of the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel, the promise of a divinely granted new heart, 
that would enable people to obey the law of God was restated by the prophets from Deuteronomy in fresh ways. So Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you what? A new heart. This is a new covenant prophecy. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And Jeremiah 31, 33, I will put my law within them and I will write it where? On their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Proverbs 7, 3 talks about the commandments and the teaching of Proverbs being written on the tablet of the heart. To quote John Aiken, he says this, In order to walk in the wisdom of Proverbs, an inner transformation needs to take place. Regeneration is necessary to walk in wisdom. One must be born again. Because wise living is a matter of the heart. And then Aiken says this, The New Testament reveals that regeneration happens only by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? His blood was shed to inaugurate the new covenant. He rose and ascended that we might receive his gift of the Holy Spirit. In order to be transformed, one must believe the gospel receiving the transforming gift of life that is Jesus Christ. My friend, the question for you right now is, are you in right relationship with the risen Jesus? To obey God in this matter of diligence and work, to avoid laziness and be godlike in the work ethic that he has built into creation, is going to take a transformed heart. What is needed for us, in fact, if we would live in the wisdom of diligence that we've talked about today, is to be in a personal, vital relationship with the one who is wisdom. Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.24 and 1.30 both tell us that Jesus is the wisdom of God. Colossians 2.3 says that all the treasures of wisdom are hidden where? In Jesus. In Matthew 12.42, get this, Jesus himself comes along and he reveals that he is greater than wise Solomon who wrote the wisdom of Proverbs. It's Jesus who perfectly keeps the wisdom of Proverbs, including all of the commands about diligence and work. In John 4.34, Jesus expresses his passion there to accomplish the work of the Father who sent him. And in John 17.4, as Jesus prays to the Father, he says this, just before he dies, He says to the Father, I accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Friends, no laziness can be found in Jesus Christ, who is wisdom personified. Did you know that right now, Jesus is upholding the universe by the word of his power, and if he wasn't, this entire building and all these pews would simply fall apart and disintegrate. The law of friction is holding things together here right now for us. And Jesus is upholding that, even right now, doing the work to uphold that by the word of his power. If we would obey Proverbs, friends, it can only be done if we are in Jesus Christ, born again, walking and living in a real relationship, a living relationship with him. Listen to John Aiken again. He writes this, Jesus is wisdom. In human flesh, the perfect embodiment of Proverbs. Jesus is the key to being wise. You want to be wise, you got to go through Jesus. 
We can only be wise, says Aiken, in daily life and for eternity by trusting in him and following him. We fall short of wisdom, each and every one of us does, and deserves death. But Jesus was wise for us and took the punishment our foolishness deserves. He says, those who are united to him by faith receive his spirit and will be conformed to his wise image. That is, you will be made like the son of Proverbs. My son, be wise. Like the son of Proverbs who obeys the call to be diligent instead of lazy. And so, my friend, I close with this. If you are here today and you understand your need of the crucified, risen, soon-coming Jesus Christ, if you want to make him the wise captain of your life from top to bottom, I would be very happy to talk with you and to pray with you after the service today. May you be wise through Jesus. May you receive him today as Savior from your laziness, as Savior from sin, death, and the devil, and may he become Lord over your life. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for revealing to us by your word that uh, this issue of laziness and this issue of work and being diligent is something that you care very much about. Father, may you continue by your Holy Spirit to draw us to your heart, some perhaps for the first time today, but others of us, Lord, may we be challenged by this word uh, to live a different week this week than we did last week with these words in our hearts and minds. We pray your help in Jesus' name. Amen.